Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and thank you so much for being here for another episode. If it's your first time being here, hey, glad to have you. (laughs) Today, we have an incredible guest. We are closing out Women's History Month with another phenomenal Black woman. Her name is Indy Jones, and she is a food creative and the founder of Bougie Soul. Let's get into it. So thank you so much, Indy, for being here. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have such amazing conversations. I'm like, you know what? She would be such a phenomenal guest for this month because you're just a dope Black woman and you are the epitome of this and that. I always say that. I always talk about, you know, embracing the gray area and being all the things and you're that. So let's unpack it. All right, Indy. So you are a Southern Belle, right? Would you consider yourself a Southern Belle? I I would. I think, um, yes, I am. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. You're a Southern Belle, but you've had some like, uh, you've had an interesting path in your life and and I just want us to like really get into it because I think especially now with black women embracing all things luxury, embracing all things soft and things like that, mm-hmm. I think this will be a really, really, really dope conversation to tie into how black women can be all of the things and embrace all parts of us. So you're a Southern Belle. Uh, born and raised in South Alabama. Give us a little bit about your general background growing up in the country. Okay. So I was actually born um, in Birmingham, Alabama. Did not know that. Yes. So what brought me to Dothan, my parents divorced when I was about eight or nine. And my mom's originally from Dothan. My dad's from Elba, which is 45 minutes away from Dothan as well. So my mom moved home with her two kids, single parent, for a little while. So yeah, I'm from Dothan just because most of my childhood memories are from here. Mm-hmm. So I spent from eight or nine years old to about 14. Um, and then my mom got remarried and we moved to New Jersey. Um, but I still like to say I'm from Alabama because I felt like, and I feel like Alabama never left. Like mm-hmm. my mom, we brought Alabama with us. So mm-hmm. We were, you know, in a different place, but all the values, all of the, the, the teachings of being a child and growing up to be a woman eventually all stem from the South. Mm-hmm. So I still like to say I'm from Alabama. Cool, cool, cool. When she says Elva, y'all, Elva is a very, very small town in Coffee County, Alabama. Yeah. And it is straight up country. Yeah. I'm talking dirt road country. <laughs> I'm talking everybody know each other country. Everyone is related to each other country. Right. <laughs> so I want to I want to make the picture plain um, as we get into, into more of the conversation. So you mentioned how for a part of your childhood, it was you, your sister, and your mom living the single parent life. And I imagine that being difficult and challenging for all of you all, mm-hmm. for your mother transitioning from, a, uh, from you know, the married life and y'all transitioning from a two-parent home. But you, you mentioned that she got remarried and then you guys moved to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, and you can share as much or as little about this 
but she didn't just remarry. Like she married a man who is quite distinguished, shall we say. <laughs> uh, he got bread. <laughs> If you want to share his affiliations, that's fine. You don't have to. But I want to make that clear because my question is, how was it transitioning from being, you know, the child of, of divorced parents, moving back to Dothan? Your mom at the time was a teacher, a high school teacher. And we all know teachers are extremely and severely underpaid. Right. So how was it transitioning from that life to moving to New Jersey and everything about your lifestyle changes in regards to your economic status? Right. Yeah, it's it's a lot to unpack, but... Girl, let's unpack it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually talked to my mom about it this morning mm -hmm. and I kind of had anxiety talking about it because we just don't talk about it mm. with other people. Yeah, yeah. So, and I always felt like just in general, like my, my family is very humble uh -huh. and even like growing up with my mom, like we weren't poor, I guess money didn't really seem like a factor, like uh -huh. growing up ever. Of course, I was able to see the difference between different like tax brackets, uh -huh. but it's not like we went from like shit to sugar, you know? Yeah. 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 So my mom was a single mother, you know, she was a teacher. My dad still was supportive financially. So, uh -huh. you know, we still went on a little, you know, our vacations, we still had pretty like nice clothes and things uh -huh. like that. But the thing is like, my mom was very adamant about working towards rewards. Like uh -huh. we were just given things. So moving from Alabama to Jersey was something that I had never even as a kid, I guess, never even fathom like seeing. Yeah. But it happened in the most gracious way. Like they didn't make a big deal about it. Before moving, did you even know like, okay, he's somebody? I didn't. I mean, he was such, he, and still is an amazing man. Like he's so humble and down to earth. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew, or uh -huh. maybe I didn't care. Like, yeah. kids are so like resilient, and you love me, I love you too, and that's uh -huh. all that matters. You yeah. know, you want to spend time with me, you want to get to know me. Like, that's all that I saw. He didn't use money to dictate or be powerful or you rude to people or even to us or even yeah. say like y'all don't have anything now y'all got a lot. You know, it wasn't yeah. even like that. It or was, even try to buy your love, like or even buy our yeah. love. No, but when I did move. When we did move, we had not, Hannah and I had not visited there. So we didn't know like what his life was, mm -hmm. like what his house was even. I mean, mm -hmm. he came to Dothan all the time to visit mm -hmm. us. So I never knew how he lived per se. Mm -hmm. So when we did go, we were, I, I kind of remember like just being like, whoa, this is so much different than mm -hmm. what I'm accustomed to. But my mom was on our ass. like. I don't think she wanted us to get used to mm. that. It's like she had her foot on her on her neck almost. <laughs> like this is great, but uh -huh. understand that this comes with hard work and you're you're not going to become used to this where it will negatively impact you. Got you. Yeah. And that was one of my questions too. Like, was yeah. it hard getting used to ease and luxury? But you're saying like she pretty much didn't let y'all get used to it. Not really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we had to work towards every and some things like were just there so it's like oh 
even like the little things that we wanted, we had to work for those extra things, but just in the household and through experience, everything was so cushiony. Like Uh when they were searching for a house, like I could hear them talking about how much the house was, or I remember going with my mom to the bank and my stepdad gave her a check. And I was like, oh my God, I've never seen like anything like zeros. Like I've never seen this before. I never even knew this was possible. And so like, I'm not saying that to boast, but just to I know, say, I know you're really struggling talking about this, but like, <laughs> Indy, I promise you it's okay. You can speak freely. We know you're not boasting. We know you're not tooting your horn. You're just answering my questions. <laughs> you're good. So awkward talking about it. I love that. Uh, your mom, who by the way, is like family to us. Uh, mm-hmm. she, yeah, she's like a big sister to me. I love that. She made sure like, listen, this is our new life. But also, y'all remember. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's exactly what she said. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, We talked about this uh, some months back because, you know, I'm, I'm just always like asking questions. I'm so curious. And we had never talked about it before. I'm like, Andy, how was it like living amongst like essentially the rich and famous? Like you went to you, you like you went from I believe what, public school. You went from public school to private school. Right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at your private school, you were pretty much amongst people whose parents were pretty prestigious people. Yes. How was were. that like in, in that regard? Because that's that's something that was very personal to you and to your experience. Share about that, like getting adjusted to even your social life or your core community changing. Right. Overall, like it was seamless in a sense because you are a kid. So mm-hmm. like I know who these people's parents are like. Some of them were really, really famous. So mm-hmm. I know who these people's parents are, but we were just kids. Like I just wanted friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to be accepted into a new place. I was excited to be, you know, I love change. And even as a kid, I liked change. So I was excited to meet new friends. And so I think you kind of forget about like who that person is or where they come yeah. from on paper or whatever. It's more or less like, you know, are we going to get along? Are they going to accept me because I'm from the South? Like, it's mm-hmm. totally different. I think I was more anxious about, like, being socially accepted because I had the biggest accent. <laughs> so that was also a thing. But everyone thought that my accent was so cool. That gravitated kids towards me. Yeah. And I loved clothes. I loved fashion. So I was, like, cool in that sense. Mm-hmm. So it was easy It was an easy transition. And I think what made it easier at first was going to school with kids that came from the same environment as Mm -hmm. I was now in. Yeah. So they made it easy because that was what they were used to. So for me, it was like, okay, this is not a big deal. Like, you know, that kind of stuff is important. It's just like, Mm -hmm. listen, I'm not a unicorn. Everyone around me, we're all the same here. (laughs) Right. Right. We're all used to the same things. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I love that. I love that. And I bring this up and it's, it's all going to tie in together. We're not just talking about how she grew up rich and famous, guys. This is not that. <laughs> Andy is so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I'm like sweating a little bit, but it's okay. Oh man, this is hilarious. I say that because like you, you were exposed to and were familiar with luxury very early on in your life. And now here we are grown Black women in the year of our Lord, 2022. And 
we are coming into this space where Black women are pushing against so many systems that have held us back from experiencing all the things, right? So we're seeing Black women say, no, I'm going to just do the bare minimum and I'm still worthy. We're seeing Black women say, you know what? I want to be treated like a princess. I want to be treated like a queen. I want to be treated like a lady. We're seeing Black women say, I want luxury. I deserve luxury. I deserve a life of ease. I deserve the soft life, right? We're seeing a lot of that now. And you has been living this life for quite a minute. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know your thoughts on this, on this quote unquote soft life and this luxurious trend that we're seeing. Is it a trend? Is it a movement? Or are we just being materialistic and glamorizing classism? What are your thoughts? I think, you know, I think about this all the time. And then when I saw, you know, when we talked about, you know, us discussing this, it kind of, I'm kind of conflicted in a sense, because like being in up north, it's not flashy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like Hollywood or Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's very like, I want to hide my money, you know, guess what I'm wearing. Um, A lot of people don't even drive. So it's, you don't really see like a lot of car, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite different. Don't be tacky. Don't brag. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the environment that I grew up in on the latter half of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to Atlanta, everyone's so flashy. Oh my god, Um, (laughs) it's just god. So god, like it's and it made me uncomfortable because I'm like, now we like I was not taught to be like this. Not to wear like a whole bunch of designer, like where it's flashy. We yeah. wore nice things, but you you couldn't tell. You wouldn't know. Yeah. You wouldn't know unless you just knew. Yeah. So at first, like when I was in Atlanta, I was like, this is just horrible. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be like flashy. Like, you know, I'm just yeah. going to wear what I want to wear. Yeah. And that's kind of still how I am. Granted, I do like really nice bags and nice shoes, mm-hmm. but I do like the aspect of putting things together because it makes me feel good, not because of how much money I spent on it or mm-hmm. how trendy it is. I also think that we come from a place of royalty and being luxurious. Like, I think we come from that mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And I also think that- Say more about that. Yeah. Like that's who we are. We come from royalty. We come from Kings and Queens. We come from the, you know, wearing gold and the more gold you have, the the richer you are. And, Uh you know, your jewelry being a status symbol of, you know, where you are economically. Uh I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think for black people, unfortunately, anything that we do has a negative connotation towards it. Yeah. Even though people capitalize off of it, it has a negative socially connotation to it. And I think that's unfair. And honestly, like, it's kind of made me be like, well, I, you know, it's okay if I want to wear like a diamond necklace or diamond. Mm -hmm. Like even growing up being gifted those things, I didn't wear it because I'm like, no one's wearing it. I don't want to be too flashy. Now looking back, I'm like going back home, trying to get all my jewelry. Like, you know, I need to embrace this. Mm -hmm. Like, these are nice gifts. Like, yeah. I shouldn't be ashamed of it. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that society has pushed the agenda, making you feel shameful of what you have. And I think for some people, that's all they're used to. So if I show that I'm on this trip and I've got this bag and I, and I bought this, why is it perceived as negative? And you're, you're showing what you have. 
Yeah. They might be different vacations and they might be different shopping experiences, or it might be a different house or a different car, but we're still talking and showing what we have. Why is it perceived negatively? Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you in that I'm conflicted with this particular conversation because it's so layered because like, I love that you, you know, mentioned, you know, our origins because our story didn't start when ships came to America, you know, (laughs) our stories didn't start on the plantation. They started well before that. Of course, in the American context, sure, that we can begin there. Um, It's horrific, but that's not where our story begins. And I think that because of our history in America, Generally speaking, right? Not not isolated families because a lot of Black families are come from, you know, a lot of Black families are upper middle class or, you know, even beyond that, especially when, you know, when you live in Atlanta, both of us have lived in Atlanta. I mean, periods of times are in, at periods of our lives. And it's just how it is. Like, people got bank, <laughs> you know, right. like that's, and, and these are Black families, right? But I'm talking about in general, Black American families we don't have much. Our family's net worth is is not only low, but it's declining. And this is in comparison to our counterparts, right? Who mm-hmm. on average, I believe their net worth is, you know, something like a couple hundred thousand, just the average mm-hmm. white family. Whereas the average black family, our net worth is like not even on the scale. And because that's just what we're used to when someone comes on the scene or when these groups of people come on the scene, stepping out and saying, hey, we're no longer subscribing to this. It looks negative. Like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are y'all doing? You're going against the grain. You're being flashy. You're not being humble. And it's like, well, why can't I? You know, mm-hmm. as a Black, why are we expected always to just be okay with the bare minimum? Why are we okay, always okay, or always expected to just accept crumbs? Right. When we're saying, no, we want more and we want to do less for more because our counterparts are right. They're enjoying the best of the best without having to, you know, bust their tails for it. So, like, why can't we enjoy that, too? So I'm all for that. But on the opposite side of that, though, it sometimes I do cringe. I'm not going to lie to you. I sometimes cringe because I don't want us to get to a place where we are glamorizing classism and privilege because at the end of the day, you still have to have access to these things. And that's a whole other conversation. And with this soft life, I get it, right? I get it. But I, I was reading a post from Candace Bimbo, who is a phenomenal woman and is just like, She's just incredible follower if you don't. But she was saying, like, let's not forget, like, Black women haven't been hard just because we want it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure, we can achieve or be ambitious and, and seek out this soft life, but let's not get it twisted. We haven't just shown up this way just because. Like, this is years and years and years, generations of oppression that has made us this way. So while we are coming out of agreement with oppression, while we are plowing down systems that have, you know, made us at the bottom of the totem pole, let's not forget that to attain a socioeconomic level to where we can access this lifestyle of softness and luxury. Let's not forget that the people who don't have access to that, it wasn't a choice for them. So it's like, let's be careful not to forget that we're not out here just like 
getting the bare minimum because we haven't worked hard enough for it. You know what I'm saying? This isn't a a conversation about like who's working the hardest because we all know Black women are some of the hardest working people on the planet. That's just period, right? So let's not equate one with the other. So it's like, I think there are two conversations that have to be had simultaneously. But I love that though, because we do deserve softness. We do deserve ease and we do deserve luxury. So as you're saying, you love your bags, you love your shoes. Just last weekend, I think you were at some beautiful wedding with some fancy designer shoes on, right? And I don't know what they are, how much they cost. I just know they were expensive. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you're still, so so like, y'all, Indy is just, she's such a lady. She's so feminine, so soft, so adorable, so beautiful. Yet she's still a country girl, right? Like remember at the beginning, I I introduced her and said she's a food creative. So the girl can cook. She cooks like somebody's old grandma. Like, (laughs) and recently, Indy, you moved back to Alabama after living in New Jersey, living this New Jersey, New York lifestyle, then living in Atlanta. And even, you know, you've lived in Florida as well. It's pretty much living the big city life for the last, I don't know, however long. Mm -hmm. How do you end up back in Elba, Alabama? Well, it, it was kind of like, I won't say by accident. So when the pandemic happened, I started working from home. And um, I lived in an apartment in in Atlanta, um, in Sandy Springs, and I was and I'm still obsessed with that apartment. It was like my first big girl place. And um, when the pandemic hit, we stopped going into work. And my dad was like, you know, I really don't think that you need to be paying rent. Doesn't make sense if you're working from home. Mm And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm still gonna stay here. Like, I'm not gonna give all this up. Like, I'm gonna stay in Atlanta. I love Atlanta. So that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed. I stayed in Atlanta. I didn't move yet. At the time, I was engaged. And um, like many relationships during COVID, uh, our relationship crumbled. Um, I'm sorry, girl. Oh, it's fine. Um, I called off my my wedding. Um, Jesus. Decided not to be engaged anymore. And, and I'm thankful because it's still, you know, it's heartbreaking to even think about. But... I'm thankful for COVID for allowing me to realign with who I am and what I want long-term, not just in relationship, but moving back to Elba eventually and things like that, like connecting to who I am and not trying to live into a space that I don't, I know that I can't fit in. That Mm -hmm. means accepting the wrong people or not being happy and putting other people before me. And that's kind of what I was doing in my relationship. Mm -hmm. So once I did that, I took a break off from work. And my dad, you know, offered to help financially. Um, But after a point, he's like, this makes no sense. Like, I'm spending all this money going down the train and for nothing. Like, you don't own this apartment. So Mm I was like, all right, daddy, I really think I shouldn't just move, you know, back to Alabama because emotionally, like, I just need a better grasp on things. Mm -hmm. And so um, my grandparents passed away years ago. They left their house, which is where I am right now, to us. And so my dad's like, why don't you just move back to Elba? And I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just get another apartment or something in Alabama. He's like, no, you're missing the whole point. Like, this house is paid for. You know, this is something that belongs to you. It's a part of you. Just move back to the house. That's so incredible. I have to, I have to stop you there because like, oh my gosh. And we're going to get into the whole generational wealth conversation a little bit later, but like, 
You just don't hear that. You don't hear of, of Black families leaving assets when they yeah. leave, when they, you know, pass away and God rest their souls. But that's mm-hmm. incredible. Like, shout out to your grandparents for, for leaving something behind outside of debt. That is, yes. that's incredible. And I, and I don't say that to be uh, um, sarcastic or rude. Like, I just, like, literally, like, our families oftentimes do not have assets to leave behind because of the way things have been set up economically for Black families. So when I hear, oh, snap, like, they left behind a, a house, a, pay, a house that was paid off, that is incredible. So continue. Yes. So, and just to clarify, this is my, my, my biological dad and his family. Um, who I'm, I'm really close with my dad, mm-hmm. um, as I am with my stepdad, but so yeah, I moved here and I've been here for the past year and I've been working from home. I have my corporate job. I mm-hmm. freelance, um, for a lot of different companies, but I developed fabric and that's what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that on the side of you know, pushing my business. Uh-huh. So moving back here, not just financially has been a blessing where I'm able to save all of my money. Uh-huh. Um, I've also been able to like invest in my mental health because I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, literally, literally no access to like quick access to the club, to men, to you know, Kiki and with the girls, like I've got yeah. to drive an hour to hang out with Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really like humbled me, not just like, oh, humbled me in a sense of, you know, be appreciative of what you have, not just uh-huh. that, but mentally humble, like just reset and having so much time to reflect. Yeah. Um, you know, not just on the past, but just in the future and where I see myself going. Yeah. And what I want for myself. Yeah. And you're not just living in your grandparents' house, but they also left land and you're there helping to cultivate the land they left behind. Like you post Instagram stories about freaking killing coyotes to make sure they don't get to the wild hogs. Like how does a girl who wears Giuseppe's and has been living the the rich and famous life in New York (laughs) go from that to hunting with her dad with guns and and camo and (laughs) making sure the hogs are safe. Like what? (laughs) Can you tell us about that life? I kind of often ask myself that too, but I had to like be real with myself. Like this is where I came from. Like at one point, this is all that I knew. Like my dad didn't just start hunting. This house has been here. My dad lived here. You know, he grew up in this house. So at one point this was all I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, before we moved to New Jersey. Yeah. I think when we moved there, you know, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, that's my life. I we came back and forth because mm-hmm. I had to spend time with my dad and my my the rest of my family. But it, this depth of it, I haven't lived it since I was younger, yeah. you know, before that. So it's kind of like, you know, it's where I'm most comfortable. Yeah, it is. It really is. I love that. That's that's really dope because anything but luxurious, right? Well, it is. I think it's luxurious because the land that my grandparents left, um, which we are direct owners of, it's uh-huh. not air property. And I say that because my grandparents worked so hard 
to have this. And I will always say it's not air property. And that's not to go against people who do have air property. Yeah. It's because my parents, my grandparents were not educated Um, and they grew up in rural South here in Elba, um, in Shady Grove, my grandmother came from, which is about 20 minutes from here, even uh-huh. countryer than Elba. <laughs> um, she didn't I think my to... granddad is from there, Shady Grove. I'm almost sure. Oh, really? Yeah. Because oh, I might relate to everybody in Shady Grove. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they weren't educated. They didn't have the resources. They grew up in Jim Crow. Um, my grandfather, I don't think has passed an elementary school education. Wow. Um, his parent, his parents were sharecroppers. So, you know, they had kids to help take care of the land uh-huh. that they had um, to make money. My grandmother, she, at 19, she started working for the farm agency in New Brockton, which was like a luxurious job because uh-huh. a lot of people at the time were sharecroppers. Yeah. Um, she wasn't educated. She was the first black person to work for the farm agency, which is a federal government job. Wow. Yeah. She retired there after about 29 years and her job and everything comes full circle. Her job was to administer subsidies for farmers. And as we know, farm, the farming industry is extremely racist, has always been. And if you can only imagine in 1965, her working at 19 at the farm agency, being the only black person of color. Yeah. She first started, the farmers didn't want to deal with her. They didn't want to come to her. They didn't want her to wait on them. Uh Um, so I say all of that to say that I will always be nonchalant and proud and boastful about the land because they went through so much to get it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's dope. She's like, no, sis, this is luxurious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's granted, it's it's given my family um, the financial freedom that we have. Yeah. And it will give my kids financial freedom. Oh, man. Children. Man, that's beautiful to know that they left this space for you. Like you are the direct beneficiary, right? They've passed yeah. on, yet you are benefiting from their hard work. That is incredible. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. That makes me emo. <laughs> <laughs> How do you maintain your softness and your femininity while still being such a hardworking country girl? It's easy to maintain because I feel like it's in me. My grandmother, she's one of the reasons why I started Bougie Soul Uh and one of the people that I learned how to cook directly from. Uh Um, But she was very feminine. I mean, extremely soft, very gracious. Never got angry. Wow. Wow. Wore her cute little apron, always had her hair curled, always had on makeup, very put together. Um, But she had this like badass job. Like, I I didn't know about that until recently, actually, Uh Um, until I had to go to the farm agency and get some (laughs) information from them. And they're like, oh, your last name is Jones, blah, blah. I was like, yeah. My grandma, she was like, yeah, she used to work here. And I was like, anyway. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know any of this until recently, but because she was so feminine, I thought she was like a stay-at-home mom. I didn't know that she was also a bread, the breadwinner at one point of her relationship. I did not know that. Because she was so delicate, I think society teaches us to think that hardworking women are supposed to look a certain way and the ones that are put together and, you know, who know how to cook and know how to take care of a home don't necessarily work. But yeah, it has to be either or. 
it has to be either or, but she was doing both. Yeah. She was known in her community to cook. Yeah. And then she also had this amazing, you know, career. So I come from that. My mother is very feminine, as you know. <laughs> she raised us to be, you know, to to live and to to be proud of being a woman and being a black woman. Mm-hmm. And I also think that society for some reason doesn't portray black women to be so feminine. It's well, like of course, yeah. We are hard, aggressive, hard. angry. Yes. Masculine. Masculine. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. my mom, you know, she comes from a background of women that are very feminine. My grandmother, who's still living. She's too cute. She is so feminine. I mean, she wrote the book on, you know, femininity. (laughs) Like she does not play. There is a rule for everything. A woman (laughs) is to be this. And she also had a badass career. She was the first Black pharmacy tech at Walmart when wow. Walmart first came. She was scouted by Sam Walmart himself. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. Wow. But still very, very feminine. And then, you know, I could go on and on, but I think that's just who I am. I think I have no control over that mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah. I love that because I don't know that we all have that story because even though the stereotype is is ridiculous and even though the stereotype has not afforded us to be seen in a broad way, to be seen with all of who we are, because we are, what, what what does Chaka Khan say? I am every woman. We are we are yes. all the things, right? Yes. Um, But there is a bit of truth to that stereotype in the fact that some black women like I come from a line of black women who are um hardworking who gonna cook and clean are very domesticated but also very firm very assertive um very vocal you know what I'm saying so I don't know that I was raised you know with the with the southern bell handbook you know like I even sit like a dude sometimes. Like my legs just be wide open. Like I, like I, I, I don't know that. Popped on the legs for so. I mean, it was like the most little thing. Yeah. So like for me, femininity wasn't. It wasn't something that was cultivated yeah. based on you know the line of women I came from because they were so hardworking and they were just as much as breadwinners you know as the men mm-hmm. in, the, in the family, which I believe is incredible and I'm grateful for that because you know I'm able to you know. My assertiveness comes from that, me being ambitious, me being able to, you know, speak my mind, not be afraid to be in certain rooms is because of that, right? But also I find myself like, yo, like, I want to be more feminine. I want to be more delicate and dainty. Yeah, (laughs) I love that what you're saying is like, you haven't had to so much cultivate it because it was cultivated within you based on, you know, the women in your family, your mom and your grandmothers. I think that is phenomenal and it's like y'all like black women we're soft too like we're ladies too we yeah that's a whole let me not get on the rabbit rabbit trail okay (laughs) I love that so let's talk more about like you know in regards to in regards to your you know grandparents working hard leaving the land that you now cultivate what what is generational wealth to you we were both of us were recently on a black history panel in Delton, Alabama at the Carver Museum. Shout out to Jamez, Loomis Brinks, Latasha Hyatt, the Carver Museum. And this question came up, but I want to pose it to you again so we could discuss this a little bit. What is generational wealth to you? What does that mean to you? You know, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. I think this is my like part of my why. 
I think generational wealth, it's not just, and we've talked about this on the panel, which I agree with. It's not just about money or assets. It's not just about that. And I asked my dad this question, like maybe like almost 10 years ago, Uh you know, he said something that was interesting. I think you, you brought this up on the panel too, about faith. Like, Uh I was like, daddy, like, what do you want to leave to us? Like, what do you want to leave to our, my kids? Uh And he said, I want to leave y'all my faith and Uh the power of the love of God and Jesus. Like, Uh that's what I want to leave for you guys. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. At the time I was like, dang, I was kind of hoping for him to say something else. (laughs) Like, Like, that's it. That's it. Jesus. Right. I mean, granted, like I'm a Christian, love God, Jesus. Yes. Amazing. But I was kind of expecting something else. Yeah. But like I said, this was like a conversation that I had with him about 10 years ago. It was probably like one o'clock in the morning. We were at his house. I was visiting. And I often reflect on that conversation with him. And um, now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, like without faith, we have nothing. Yeah. Um, our faith got us through everything, everything, everything. Like, I don't know if you ever sit and think about like, I know my, my family were slaves. Like I know that to be a fact. That's that's an assumption. Like we have the proof. I know that. Yes. Ours were in Henry County, Alabama in the Abbeville. Yes. Area. Area. Right. So I think about, you know, them being enslaved and some of them, we still have their, we got them um, tombstones. So uh-huh. we have at least the date that they died, uh-huh. um, some of them. So I go to that cemetery sometime and I look at the date. I'm like, wow, they died in like the late 1800s, right? Uh-huh. Or the late being before slavery ended, uh-huh. technically, right. or even like 1890s, whatever. Right. I think about that, that being so long ago and where we are now. And I'm like, wow, they were so faithful to God and to themselves yes, and to the future that yes, they had a long ways to go. How were they able to be so hopeful? Yeah. Yeah. And not be able to see past their circumstances yeah. and their circumstances being so brutally like awful. Yeah. How can you see past what you're living in? And I think it's not, it's, you can't compare it to what what our circumstances are, right? Oh like, yeah, because and and because let me interject this. Don't lose don't lose your thought, but let me interject okay. this. You you say you know how they were you know able to see past the circumstances, but that's not just metaphorically. That is also literally oh. because a lot of these slaves never saw anything beyond their plantation. Some of that's them were. Not- that's exactly what I'm like talking about. Like they were born on the plantation, also died on the plantation. Like they did not see even their city. No. All they knew literally no. was what, however many acres that land was, that was it. How could you even think that there was another, there is another life? How? Yeah. Or how could you even imagine where we are today? Ooh, girl, you get me emotional. Yes. Granted, yes. we've got a long ways to go. Um, so for me, generational wealth starts there, you know, it all starts in your mind, like being hopeful, being faithful. That's, a, that's, those are characteristics that start with our mind. Right. Yeah. And then we kind of act upon that. So we can do anything. Um, once we realize like we're, you know, our capability and where we, where we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
although they didn't see it literally, as we said, they, they felt it, right. Their faith told them that there was something better They knew, and, and perhaps they wouldn't be able to experience it, but to be mm. selfless and to sacrifice, you know, that, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to see it. My kids are not going to see it, but yeah. somebody, somebody that comes to me will, will be able to enjoy life a little bit better. If I just yeah. hold on, you know, they'll be able to have a better opportunity. But I think that's what generational wealth is for me living selflessly in this life. Mm-hmm. I may, I may not be able to experience the things that I'm working towards, but if I can make it easier for my kids and their children and then their children, that is something that is priceless. Um, priceless. It's, it's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, it is invaluable. And that that's what it means to me, like generational wealth of yeah. putting yourself last. We're here on an assignment, right? Like girl, our assignment is to me and what I interpret, you know, certain scriptures in the Bible, our assignment is to make it easier for the next generation. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be easier. It's not supposed to be harder. There's this whole <laughs> mindset. Find out the way I started, and I had to work, and I had to do this, and you just gonna have to get it the best way you know how. That is not. That's not helpful. It's not. We, we're behind. We're trying yeah. to get ahead. We are five hundred years behind. We don't. We don't have time to start all over. We yes. don't have that. We can't. We cannot do yes. that. Yes. In order to compete and to get ahead, we're going to have to put our families in position to start ahead of where we started. That's the point. That's like, the point. That's the point. That what is the point. For? What, what are you living your life for if all you're doing is to make the next generation reset? Yeah. Or if you're only living for yourself. For our generation specifically, we, you know, we are more individualistic, right? You know, everything is mm-hmm. about me. What, you know, can I get? How can I work hard for myself? God is blessing me. It's my season. You know, everything is about me, 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 me. I do agree with that. In that sense, it can make it difficult to think beyond your life. It's, and I'll get personal with you because I don't want children. I don't know what God has for me in the future, but at this moment and for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I have not desired children. So in my mind, it's like, I mean, it is like what I do it is for me, you know, and of course my family that's here, but like, I don't think I, I have to train myself to think in terms of generations because I do not want children, but I have to also realize as a woman of faith, as a Christian, I have to realize like, yo, God doesn't work that way though. Like God calls families. God is thinking oftentimes in terms of generations, like even in the things that I go through, right. The, the pain that I experience, the pain that we experience, it's like, sure. God wants to like heal you and get you through, but also God is thinking about like two, three generations down the line. Like this is not just about you. This life that we live is not just about us. Like there are people waiting, right? There are people waiting for us to complete our assignment so that they can then, you know, begin their assignment. And then it continues. Everything is bigger than what we think it is. Everything is bigger than us. And I agree with you. We have to think in terms of who's next, of what's next. Not that we don't matter or our circumstances don't matter, but like we have to broaden our perspective because, yo, like God just didn't think that way. Even when you read the Bible, God was always thinking like hundreds of years ahead. You know what I'm saying? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ahead. And I don't want to get all deep into scripture, but like 
yo, like it's not just about now. So I agree with you. There was a clip that went viral. It was about, I think Shaq was on a podcast. Shaquille O'Neal was on a podcast talking about this very thing. And they were asking him about his children and how he set them up. And Shaq was very adamant about like, yo, his money is his money. It's not his kids' money. And that he makes sure that his sons work hard. And if they earn anything that they get. And he was just very... I perceived what he was saying to be very strict. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Y'all go look it up. But it didn't sit right with me because I'm just like, what's the point for you, for us to be talking about generational wealth and legacy this and legacy that, yet you want your child to experience the same hardness that you experience? Isn't the whole point of generational wealth is to pass things down so it makes things a bit easier? We're always complaining about, you know, how white families have been set up from the jump because of slavery. We know that, you know, a lot of white wealth is a direct result of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we complain about that. But we also, we also can look back and see how we want our families to mimic that in that, okay, when my children are 18 or 20 or whatever, they're at least going to have a house. They ain't got to worry about mortgage. Here's a house for them or whatever. They set them up. And we talk about how we want to do that for our families. Well, how do we do that if we're like so committed to our children having a hard life like why do we glorify the struggle life like what is it about any what are your thoughts on that in making sure that the next generation has it easier but still making sure they understand grit motivation ambition hard work what 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 do you think the balance is there I think it is a balance um there is okay and I think that's something we have to identify because there is um so for instance, like my, I think my parents did a great job of balancing that out on both sides. I went to college. My parents paid for my tuition, right? Mm-hmm. Shouts out to them. Bro. Right. I'm you a black, you don't have any student debt, girl? I have no, I have no debt whatsoever. My Yo, can we can we add a click track of praise <laughs> break right here? <laughs> yes, honestly, I'm so thankful for that because and just for perspective to people that know me, like my mom as a birthday gift paid all, well, I had, I bought my car like several years ago. Anyway, as a birthday gift, she paid off the whole car for me. Wow. Yeah. So at this point now, when I say I have no bills, I have no bills, like just my, um, my car insurance. That's it. Girl, girl. Yeah. So I say that that is incredible. I say that to say, Brittany, because people think that, oh, because you have things handed down to you that you don't, or you have things given to you that you're not hardworking. And I think I'm probably one of the hardest working people ever. Girl, you stay working now. (laughs) Like I always have some hustle going. I'm not sitting around sleeping. I am not a do nothing B-I-T-C-H. I don't know if I can cuss. Girl, you done cussed like 15 times already. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. I really do. I'm just very passionate. We are hour in. She's talking about, I don't know if I can cuss. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the F-bomb like 15 times. Um, I say that to say that because they've done those things for me, made me more appreciative and actually yeah. like pushed me to work even harder because if I have kids now, I won't be able to do that. Like, yeah. I won't, if I had kid at an 18 year old right now, I would yeah. not be able to pay for their tuition, their college tuition. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't. Like yeah. Yeah. financially, I cannot do that. I cannot pay their rent and pay mine. Yeah. I can't pay for their car and pay mine. So I think it's those, it's the foundation of 
how you raise your child. And I think with my mom having her foot on our neck of mm-hmm. being, you know, you don't get rewarded rewarded with good gifts and good things if your grades aren't good, if mm-hmm. you're not obedient. And it's not always either if you do the right thing, you're going to get this. Mm-hmm. That was also not always the case either. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a balance with that because you don't want to just do the right thing because something good is going to happen. You right. Know, you get something. That's not how it works. Right. Like, you want to build the character of the person. You want to be bring the character. And yeah. we talk about everything being so transactional. That's that's something that was not the case for me growing up. So now as an adult in my 20s, and I and my parents see that I'm working and I'm sacrificing and I'm staying up late, not going to bed until late. Um, waking up early, really trying to meet my goals. It's like, Hey, I'm going to help you because I see that you're, you're struggling with not just struggling in a bad way, but struggling in a sense of trying to make it happen for yourself. I'm going to release, you know, the pressure and here's a place to stay as a gift. Instead of buying you a bag or shoes that you, you like, why don't I just pay off her car? Which, which would have been the same if I want really wanted a this type of bag that I wanted. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. So instead of actually going to buy that purse or that shoe or whatever, because my car was paid for, I actually like became a little bit more appreciative and careful with the way that I spent. Because it kind of did the reverse. Like I thought at first I was like, I'm just gonna go buy it myself now. I have this, you know, (laughs) whatever. But it actually did the opposite. Like yeah. now I haven't really shopped too much. Like probably in the past year, I've not bought not one designer thing at all. Wow. So anything that I, I'm wearing is old. So it made me a little bit more conscious of where I'm putting my efforts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think this may be a deeper and a separate conversation, but I think there is something that happens. And I think I know, I believe when you sacrifice on that kind of level, when you leave everything behind to come back home, because we both did that around the same time. When I moved down here, I was like, wait, Indy's, Indy's home? Indy's here? What? What is going on? I moved back December 2020. You moved back around the same time. And some of our other friends and family also found their way back home. And I'm like, what's happening that we're all finding our way back home? And I think there's something bigger happening. I'm not sure what that is yet, but something changes within you when you sacrifice on that level to the point where it's just like, okay, sure, I'm saving more because I don't have to, you know, to worry about rent, these things like that. But it's like your values kind of shift and realign. And because I'm, I'm even finding that, finding that for myself, you know, where, like I said, I don't want children, but all of a sudden I'm more focused on family and legacy. We, legacy, you can have legacy without having children, right? So it's like, right, so even me, my thought patterns are changing. I'm like, what is going on? But I think it's directly related to that, that huge sacrifice, like how much you give up. It's like your desires are different. I, I don't know. Totally that may, different. There might be a separate conversation, but I just want to point that out, like, because that, that's a huge sacrifice. Andy, like, There's well, a not, shift happening. Yes, shift. it's a paradigm shift. And that's yes. a huge sacrifice to make. But I think it's it's so much bigger than us. It is, it is. And I think my time has being here, like I just reevaluate everything, Brittany. Like it started off with just a relationship, which I wasn't really happy in. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of went to, okay, like I, it seems like I'm feeding into things that are not serving me. Mm-hmm. Like- whether that's relationship, friends, clothes, tangible things, like I'm putting too much emphasis on things that don't serve me. Yeah. 
And now that I've been here, I'm doing everything that serves me. Like I'm quick, you know, to identify things that are not going to work and Mm -hmm. fit in my life, no matter what it is, instead of giving it a try and wasting my time. Like Mm -hmm. I'm quick to identify what negative um, energy is ahead of me. I love that. I love that. And I embrace the change. I embrace the shift. Like, Lord, whatever you're doing, continue. I know. (laughs) I know. So let's get into Bougie Soul. What is Bougie Soul? Tell us all the things about Bougie Soul. You are a food creative. What is a food creative and what led you to begin Bougie Soul? So Bougie Soul, I will like to kind of People think like bougie soul. I'm I'm at this one one chef. I went to a cooking demonstration. I always think about this for some reason. I went to a cooking demonstration. I just started bougie soul and bougie soul kind of happened by accident, but I'll get into that. Um, and the chef was like, what's the name of your company? It was like bougie soul. Well, I said bougie soul food at the time. And it was bougie soul food at the time. He was like, well, soul food is bougie. <laughs> like saying that I named bougie soul food because what I think I'm making soul food bougie when it, in fact, it already is bougie. Uh-huh. He was kind of saying, I'm like, I'm just going to let him rant and think he got it. Cause that's <laughs> not what I was like. I'm too hot. We were in this hot kitchen. I was enjoying the demonstration. I'm like, just stop talking to me, whatever. So anyway, from the name, everyone loves to ask about the name. And I always just simply put it, it actually bougie soul is about me and not about the food. Uh-huh. So I started making these, um, I was working for a company in Atlanta and, um, we had potlucks and people would always bring in food or whatever. So I was that person. I always randomly on a Tuesday brought something. So I started, um, making these collard green rolls at the time. And I'd had them so many times at different restaurants across the country Uh and they just didn't, I mean, they were great. It was a great concept but they didn't taste the way that I knew that they would taste like had I made them. Mm-hmm. So I made them at home. My family went crazy that like my family in Atlanta would come over just to eat them. <laughs> um, and I really didn't know. And I say that because I didn't know what I had. Yeah. yeah. And so I made them um, for work. Everyone went crazy. <laughs> no interest in having my own company. Um People started at like, hey, I'm going to this dinner. Can you make me those? I was like, yeah, sure. I wouldn't charge them anything. It was just something that I would just make. Uh-huh. I was fine with that. All of a sudden, it started to become like a lot, you yeah. know? Oh, can you make it? Can you make? Can I have 10? Can I have 15? Whatever, whatever. And so my friend, um, Veronica, who I worked with, she was like, girl, you need to start your own business, like your <laughs> food business. I was like, I'm not starting my own food business. Like, I love my job. Like, you know, I'm developing mm-hmm. fabric for this very, you know, popular brand. Like, yeah, I love this job. This is my career. And she's like, no, you can do it on the side. Like, it doesn't like just you're thinking too much. Just start the brand. You can charge people and make money. And I was like, okay, fine. So I told her, I was like, I don't know what I should name the company, like Indies Food. And she was like, <laughs> no, that's boring. So anyway, somehow or another, we were talking in her office and she was like, bougie soul. She's like, you're so bougie, but you're so soulful and you're from the South, but you're still very bougie, like blah, blah, blah. So that's how the name came about. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) So bougie soul food really just started with the collard green rolls. Um, Y'all, these collard green rolls are so freaking amazing. I heard about them probably more than a year, like before I ever tasted them. 
And I'm not like a egg roll kind of person, anything roll. I'm I'm really basic. Give me meat and potatoes. I'm good. <laughs> I'm so country. <laughs> I'm so country. Um, I love collard greens, but it just sounded too like, uh-uh, give me collard greens and I'm cool. Um, but y'all, when I finally had them collard greens, I instantly became addicted. And I try to make sure my friendship with Indy is not transactional and like make sure she doesn't think that I only value her because of her collard green rolls, but they're so good. Well, I think I have like a love-hate relationship with collard green rolls because (laughs) it's, 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 it's bigger than me at this point. People are like, Hey girl, can I get some? I'm like, no, you can't. They're out of season. Girl, I would cry. <laughs> they are so it's like good. we love you, Indy, but also but these also, collard green rolls. I don't, and I honestly like I knew that I could make them better, but I didn't know it was gonna be this much better. Yes, they are amazing. That's what the like bougie soul food is. Well, bougie soul now because I've kind of branched out into other things. But Bougie Soul did start with just the collard green rolls. And then I started catering for a little while. I found out that I hated catering. It kind of like took away the passion a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a really good note. I think that's a good note. Like do the thing, try it out, start the business. And if you find out this isn't my lane, cool. Like I thought I was going to be a wedding planner. I just knew it because I'm a natural planner. I love love. I love weddings. It made sense. I started interning for a a, a wonderful wedding planner in college. I'm like, this is going to be my path. I'm going to open a business. I done started a business, got the doggone, uh, all the paperwork, then went to trade shows, started getting hired for stuff. And I'm like, yo, I actually hate this. (laughs) But that's the thing though, with food, you think because of what you see, that's all you can do. And I felt bad for not liking catering. I'm like, I love to cook. Why is it that I like, I hate catering? Yeah. And it was more so of the, like, not necessarily just the pressure, but it just took like cooking things that I didn't want to cook for people. Like I'm not no pasta mate. And I always say this, I'm not a pasta taco making kind of gal. Like <laughs> I love turkey neck, neck bones. You know, I love pig feet. I love chitlins. I love, you know, smoked turkey wings. Like I love cornbread. I love dress. Like those are the things I like. So like you are the kind of person who fries chicken in the middle of the night, like 1 a.m. Yeah. Oh, just want some self-care. Let's <laughs> fry some chicken. <laughs> I want a biscuit with some cane syrup. We were, were we, was I talking about cane syrup? Yes. <laughs> with some cane syrup and a piece of fish. Like that's how I like to cook. Yeah. And so um, I think, yeah, definitely try. And try it. Think, and don't feel bad for it not working out. And yes. that's what, used to yes. kind of hinder me was feeling yes. so bad. But it's a part of the process because in that, as you find out what what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, or what you just don't like, it leads you closer to your purpose and to how right. you can better express your gifting. Right, exactly. And I, that kind of led to being just a food, a Black food creative is just taking these traditional recipes and kind of making it into, you know, creating something totally different. Um, even though the collard green rolls had already been established, um, you know, sought after, I just kind of took my traditional because I could tell the collard greens used in these collard green rolls were canned collard greens. Mm. I could tell that the seasonings weren't fresh. So 
what I did was take my hundred year old uh, collard green recipe from my grandparents and, you know, put this spice with this. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of different ingredients that you would never think that's in there, but I yeah, we had there. a whole debate about this with like, <laughs> is that, that, is that, that, that ain't in there. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Listen, I don't care what's that. in there. All I know is it's good. <laughs> it's the bomb. <laughs> that's all I know. Exactly. And then taking like this dipping sauce that comes with it, oh there were dipping God. sauces with the other one, <laughs> but it wasn't that good. And I'm like, I'm going to make my own dipping sauce. Be like, girl, can I get extra dipping sauce? <laughs> Uh, Andy, my, my dipping sauce, it was in the bag. Can I get that? <laughs> it will be ready to fight over the dipping sauce. I'm like, look, these collard green rolls have, oh. <laughs> have, there's a cult. I've created a cult. No, around yes, them. I'm a part of it. <laughs> it. I mean, but you're not like the angry, like my, some of my customers are really, really mean. Like I was arguing <laughs> with a couple of customers this week. I'm um, so tickled. The season's been over. Like the season is over. I'm not cooking collard green rolls right now. Yeah, girl, I tried to get you to cook some for mine for my uh for my event. You didn't even say nothing. You just said, "Well, how about this?" You ain't gonna even acknowledge that I asked for collard green rolls <laughs> because I know that that's a road that people get mad. I'm like, look, <laughs> it's not October yet. <laughs> Don't get nothing about that. Go find some collard greens. Get in that kitchen. Make me some rolls. The lady was like, this is just so unprofessional. I see collard greens in the um in the stores. I was like, ma'am, that they are in the stores, but with collard greens, they are a winter vegetable. They're not going to cook and taste the same as they would if they were being harvested in the winter. And, and this I is only why this is why you're the food creative. This is why you're bougie right. soul. Sis said, I ain't making no collard greens out of season. I don't no, care where you find yours. I ain't making none. Cause they ain't and fresh. that's for all of my products. Like, even though the key lime pie, I did make it, um, the key lime cheesecake during the winter, but I only like to cook during season. Like that is, that's bougie soul. I don't eat coconut. I don't eat, I had never had key lime anything. And again, like I said, I don't eat like roll, egg rolls and stuff. Well, Indy has changed all of that. Cause sis has a coconut cream cheesecake. And they about fought me like, you have to try it. I'm like, y'all, I don't like coconut. I do not like coconut unless it is a scent or some type of like lotion or body cream. I do not like eating anything coconut. Y'all, they didn't like argue me down. Just taste it. Y'all, I didn't taste that. After I didn't argue for 15 minutes, I didn't taste that cheesecake. Y'all, I was like, you know what? Y'all right. It's all, y'all right. This is fire. And the same with the key lime cheesecake fire fire i'm like girl what is you doing who is whose grandma old soul is inside your body <laughs> this is crazy you know that mean when it was like you know i don't measure anything which i don't yeah you know i stop until my ancestors told me to stop yeah. literally that is how i kind of cook <laughs> that's like it's yeah because i think you had did something one day you were preparing for i think an upcoming holiday or something and you were like oh I, I don't know if you said I had like I had a you were daydreaming or you had a dream or something. This this recipe came to you. I'm like, how the, coconut, coconut, the coconut cheesecake. Wait, how it does it just coconut. come to you? What do you mean it just comes to you? Like, girl, it just it is the weirdest thing. Like, and that was a true story. And I got up at like 4 a.m. and started making that cheesecake because I was like, if I don't make it right now, I'm gonna forget. And I didn't really want to write it down. I just wanted to make it. And because I hate coconut and I hate key lime, so. With the coconut, it was like, you know what? Black people love coconut. Um, 
don't know if you grew up over the coconut cake. Like my grandma used to make coconut cake. Yeah, I, I can't see. I don't even like looking I, at it. Ugh. I ate it. So it's like, well, how can I make this enjoyable for people that don't necessarily like this ingredient? Mm-hmm. And I think too, a lot of times we just over utilize like ingredients. And honestly, all you need is a hint of it. Mm. And with the coconut, I got up, I made it. I added some other ingredients that necessarily don't go with coconut per se, but mm-hmm. from a scientific perspective, it does go. Um, and the, I that's what happened with that. Girl, it's the bomb. It's yep. the bomb. <laughs> okay, I have not eaten breakfast yet or it's one <laughs> o'clock. I haven't eaten anything. So let's move on because I'm, girl... <laughs> Because now I'm ready to bite you. Like, can you put the freaking crawly green rolls on the menu, please? <laughs> I'm thinking about it. <laughs> she ain't gonna do it, y'all. <laughs> well, the other backlash is if I do make it for you and somebody found that finds that mm-hmm. you have no idea. I'm gonna start posting these messages because they're very mean. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I've had to ban a couple customers. Like, you are never allowed to um, order from Muji Soul <laughs> ever. I love that. I love that. Did you make it? Well, I think you've already shared like who it's for, but like, did you make it specifically for black folks? Bougie Soul? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hot, I mean, obviously anybody can order it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's not, I'm not being prejudiced where it's like, I don't want white customers. I have a ton of white customers. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, Bougie Soul just started because I felt like also too, we were getting away from soul food. Like we were almost ashamed of it. And it's like, we don't have to eat how the enslaved people eat. (laughs) We don't have to do that. And it's like, no, do you realize that our family and and ancestors seem so far removed? Our family created this cuisine. Like this is what started on the plantation. And this is something that's amazing. We started a, a cuisine. We took, you know, from what we could remember from, you know, our, from our, our African life to our American and formulated an entire new cuisine. Like we can't, this is our culture. Like this is something that we shouldn't be, you know, ashamed of. And anyway, back during slavery, we didn't have all the horrible ingredients or have enough of it to add. So then it wasn't even bad. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a whole bunch of cooking grease. We didn't have a whole bunch of sugar to use. We didn't have a lot of it. It was, we had very limited, um, amounts of that I yeah. think during like the 40s the 50s and the 60s the 70s during that era when we did have access it was like okay we're going to use all of the stuff because we are not used to it and we're going to make it taste good but I think for me it's honestly just going back to the plantation I don't use you know my cheesecakes are not overly sweet no. and I pride in that because it's like some desserts that I have from the south are just too sweet and you cannot enjoy it yeah and with the coconut ingredient, the key lime, I don't add a whole lot because I don't want it to be overpowerful. Like I want it, I want you to be able to enjoy it. And, and so bougie soul is for black people in a sense of, hey, we've got to keep our culture alive. We have to yeah. keep it going at one. This is all we have here. And we that. can enjoy it without our health being in jeopardy. Yes. Um, yes. And that's another thing. I use non-harmful cooking oils. I use you know, most of everything is farm to table. Everything's fresh. The collard green rolls are organically grown. They're not in the can. They're not pre-shredded. I have to sit there, clean them and cut them and clean them. So yeah, it is for us. That's a lot, girl. All that on top of your corporate job. Girl, that's a lot. I know. Ooh, what are your future <laughs> plans for Bougie Soul? When I think about Bougie Soul, I, the first thing that probably comes to mind, like all of us are the collard green rolls. 
And um, mm. I don't want it to just to be about that. Like I want it to be about now I'm formulating um, seasonings and hot sauces. And these are seasonings that I, that I use separately to, you know, to cook. But I had a couple of friends ask, Hey, can you just make me the blend that you use for this and that? Hmm. I'm like, sure. And I gave them that, but now I'm like looking into actually just selling it as a blend. Like, Hey, this is your chicken. This is your poultry blend. Yeah. This is your steak blend. This is your vegetable. You oh, know, that's so cool. Blend. So I'm working on that. And I really want Bougie that. Blends. Bougie blend. Um, I'm working on that being those things being, you know, a part of just your household, your kitchen, like a kitchen staple. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also um, been able to take my corporate job, the skills that I've learned through work and through college and making my own aprons. Um, I have them like boxes of them sitting. I haven't launched them yet. They're hundred percent linen. They're naturally dyed. Um, so just like making bougie soul a brand like mm-hmm. building a brand and then just having these other components but i really want bougie soul just to be a brand like a home at brand not yeah. just kitchen but like candles and yeah. oh that's yeah. so dope yeah. i love that andy that is incredible well congratulations on all things bougie soul and i look forward to call it green season <laughs> And I vow to try to not bully you about making them sooner. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, as we close out Women's History Month, um, if you could share anything with Black women, what would you share? I think what I would share is to be unapologetically like yourself. I know that's so cliche and probably very vague, but I think we apologize too much. Like, not only do we apologize, but we also like dumb ourselves down to make other people feel comfortable, to make people feel like better at digesting us. And that just takes away so much of who we are. Not only that, I think we live a life of trying to just, we may not even be conscious about like how we live on trying to please others, whether it's our kids, our husbands, our job, whatever that is. And that's just like living a life of a lie, you know, I know that's not strong, but yeah, not living who, like who you are. For me, I've learned that I can be this country girl who likes guns and who likes to hunt with her dad and who likes to garden and be dirty, mm-hmm. but I can also like go on a nice trip or I could go shopping or have a nice glass of champagne. Like there's room for both. And yes, um, yes. Both and yeah, you can be both. Like you can be all those things. Like I'm not just one person and that's it. Like I also like these other things. Like I'm country as hell. Like <laughs> <laughs> if you've not been to Elba, you come, you're like, Indy, oh my God, this is like really different. Um, <laughs> now I'm trying to work on building a chicken coop. Like <laughs> at the same time, like I really want to go on a nice vacation in a, you know, in a couple of months, or I really want like a new bag or something. Like I can be all those things. Yeah. And I think that just, you know, I hope, hopefully that inspires other women to be the same. Like we can be whoever we want to be. Like we don't yes. have to fit into one box in one category. We're not one fits all, you know, one size fits all. Um, so I hope, I hope I'm too reminded of that too. Like, um, 
I don't have to appease to other people, dumb myself down to make other people feel comfortable about who I am. And people, and then too, you might find that people might actually enjoy or be interested in that. And that's what ha- has happened to me. I'm like, wait a minute, y'all want to know about this? <laughs> like, you really want to know, Brittany, about like what it is, you know, to be like, to live both lives? Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is that that's powerful encouragement because it's so true. You know, it's, it's what's the point of being an imitation or some watered down version of us when we were divinely and strategically designed to be us. So, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, can you tell us how we can support you and, and patronize your business? Yes, of course. You can follow um, Bougie Soul on Instagram, bougie.soul. Um, you can follow on Facebook, Bougie Soul, as well. Just follow on, on social media. Um, you'll get updates and um, alerts on when color green season is coming, when the color green rolls are coming back, um, as well as see when new products are dropping. Um, and what I'm doing in the kitchen, I share a lot of you know my personal cooking as well. So you'll see all of that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, y'all follow her. Please do, because you will not be disappointed when you order these collard green rolls when that season comes. You know, no, yeah. I don't want to rush you, but <laughs> listen, y'all want y'all want to try these collard green rolls. <laughs> Thank you so much, Indy, for for sharing about your journey um as a hardworking country girl, Giuseppe shoe loving. <laughs> All the things I'm every I need a contract or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just appreciate you you sharing that because it's really what this podcast was created to be is a space where we get to be all the things, where we get to embrace um all the great areas, we get to embrace all the things, even if those things contradict. Um so I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um so thank you, girl. Y'all go follow her now. Do it now. Thank you, Brittany. Of course. And uh, as for me, please follow Shades of Brown on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. I can be found at Shades of Brown Podcast. And please grab some merch. Grab some Shades of Brown merch. You can do that by either clicking on the link in my bio on my social media pages, or you can just go directly to everythingallyb.myspreadshop.com. Get you some new merch. I got some new shirts that say this and that, that epitomizes pretty much this conversation we've been talking about. It's this and that. Also, I have my uh, second annual Healing from a Mother Womb workshop coming up. That'll be Saturday, May 7th. It's Mother's Day weekend. And what better time to, you know, do some healing work in regards to our inner child wounds. And guess who's going to be catering the workshop, y'all? None other than bougie soul. (laughs) (laughs) The menu is phenomenal. I think the food's going to be so great. And hopefully she'll have some of her own merch there to to sell to you guys too. So you can get tickets for that event at Eventbrite, or you can go check the link in my bio on my social media pages. There's a barcode there. You can scan, get your tickets. And if you're in my online healing community, there is a... um, there is a discount code, a promo code you can use to get $5 off. So yeah, 
check it out. Um, and yeah, and if you if you have enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate if you would leave a five-star rating on, on um, Apple Podcast and share some feedback on social media, in the comments, in my DMs. I really appreciate hearing from you all and all of that helps make the show more visible. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And I will close by saying this. I hope that you be well, you love well, and you be loved well. You deserve that. Till next time. Bye.